My name is Aaron Zimmerman. I'm the rector of St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas, past president of the board of Mockingbird Ministries and occasional annoyance to David Zoll. I am the co-host of the Same Old Song podcast, which is the blessing to uh, wearied and panicked Saturday night preachers who are trying to put something together for Sunday morning. And I'm also someone who's a little bit into fonts, typefaces, and I prepared a PowerPoint deck for tonight. I picked one of my favorite typefaces, it's called Cormorant, available free from Google Fonts. But due to the vagaries of technology, we'll be seeing almost no Cormorant tonight. There's one slide at the end, a sous-son of Cormorant. I just want you to know that I'm not lazy and I didn't pick Calibri. <laughs> Self-justification out of the way, let us begin. Welcome to Mockingbird's New York Conference number 14. Fourteen, or as they say in Latin America, catorce, or as they say in Spain, catorce. <laughs> I don't know why I put that joke in here, I just wanted to say catorce. I've been looking forward to it for weeks. It's not as funny as I thought it would be. I have to say, I've attended a lot of these Mockingbird conferences in New York, and I'm excited to announce something special tonight. I've attended over five of these, and for everybody else who's attended five or more, I'm excited to announce tonight a new level of membership for our most devoted fans, Mockingbird Platinum. <laughs> Includes exclusive access on Ember.com to never-before-seen photos from the high school yearbooks of Sarah Condon, R.J. Heyman, and David Zoll. See RJ's unwise beret phase. <laughs> Behold Dave in his speedo-clad water polo years. Marvel at Sarah Condon's unwise fashion choices in her skater girl phase featuring wide-legged jeans and metallic Doc Martens. So if she were to wear that again, she would be, I think, uh, she would fit in. Additionally, Mockingbird Platinum members get access to members-only limited podcast series by David Zoll, The Insider's Guide to the Garbage Pail Kids, Law, Gospel, and Garbage. <laughs> Mockingbird Platinum, grace but eliter. <laughs> you don't need to be elite to hear the talk tonight, though, so... Welcome, if it's your first time to a Mockingbird conference or your 14th time. Our theme is Hope for a Weary World, and I have to say, Dave and his team could not pick, have picked a better theme. It's been a rough few years, and it feels to me that just being here tonight is a little bit of a miracle. We are weary, and we do need hope. So this, you, give me hope. 
and there's a lot that's gone into it, and I want to thank all of you for being here. I want to thank uh, Dave and his staff and all the folks in Charlottesville. I want to thank uh, Camel and Chris and the people up there running sound and doing all kinds of things. Megan Ritchie, who's pulling this off, the people who are providing food, Katie and her team, uh, Jacob and Melina Smith, and uh, just all the people of Calvary St. George's and you. So a round of applause for everybody who's here tonight and everybody helping out. God bless you, and uh, God bless us all. I'm really, really glad to be here. This uh, warms my heart just to look out and see all of you. Uh, I do have one little other technical note to say, is that because of the powers that be at the YouTube, the clips that I show, if we were to show them, because of intellectual property rules, this is not a joke, this is true, the clips that I show would cause the whole live stream to be muted. And so live stream folks who are watching this, I apologize. The clips are amazing, uh, and you'll have to fend for yourself somehow. I'm sorry. Uh, so you'll just have a few minutes to, I don't know, uh, check your social media feeds before you come back to the live stream. So let's, on that note, let us pray. Dear God, help whatever I say tonight to be good and whatever is good that you would cause it to land well help us to hear from you take care of um, us and wherever we need your help most that you would help us in that place that where we're weary you would give us hope and help we pray in Christ's name Amen so to paraphrase salt and pepper let's talk about hope baby yeah, that was as lame as I thought it would be. Okay. <laughs> so, hope for a weary world. This is the part where if you're talking about hope, if hope is the theme, if hope is what we're supposed to, you're supposed to walk out of here with hope, this is the point where I tell you all the reasons why you should have hope. This is, let the inspirational quotes begin. And I would tell you things that will make you feel better. I'll tell you stories that are sort of rags to riches stories, people that fell down to the bottom but came back to the top, and people that have overcome insurmountable obstacle stories of the triumph of the human spirit. Think Rudy, think Remember the Titans, think Top Gun, all these things. I would sing for you the 1970 hit by the Five Stair Steps. I won't sing it, but I would if this were that kind of conference. I'll quote it, ooh, child, things are going to get easier. Things will be brighter. Did you know there are five siblings? That's the five stair steps. They're all part of one family, the Burke family out of Chicago. Or if that's not your speed, maybe we would listen to these women, Wilson Phillips. And I would tell you to hold on for one more day. I would try to give you hope. Glamour shots, y'all. I would give you this idea that hope is the reality that things will get better and things will get better for you. And I just try to get you to muster up your inner sense of hopefulness. But it's a Mockingbird conference in 2022 and we're going to do something else. We will provide hope, but not by just laying on inspirational quote after inspirational quote or showing you pictures of sunsets or telling you stories of people that faced obstacles and that it got better. We're going to start where we always start. 
Mockingbird's theology always starts here on the ground, in reality, what we're actually going through, what we're actually experiencing. And we're going to start here on the ground with Paul and Paul and Harry and Sally and Florence and Michael. We're going to start here on the ground where we will find hope in a weary world. So, let's begin. What do we see here on the ground? Well, for that, I need the help of two Pauls. No, no, not RuPaul. I said two Pauls. All right. Well, actually, not those Pauls. Two other Pauls. Thank you, Dave, for that chuckle. I'm, I'm really, really struggling up here. Thank you. I thought that RuPaul would kill, but no. The first Paul is the Apostle Paul, St. Paul. And I bring him up because he tells us in Romans 8 that hope only exists in a world where you don't get what you want. Hope only exists. Hope is this thing we think of as a positive thing. Inspirational posters and bumper stickers. But it only exists in a world, you, you have to live in a place where you don't have what you want in order to have hope. And he says it in Romans 8, who hopes for what they already have? You have to not have anything in order to hope. You hope she'll say yes because she hasn't yet and she's emotionally distant. You hope you get into grad school because if you have to put in one more day at the job you currently hate, you don't know what you'll do. You hope that the PET scan is clear because you don't know if the surgery and chemo has worked and it has been brutal. You only hope for what you don't yet have. That's where we begin. And to have hope, um, it means that things are not going great. To have hope means that things are not going great. As Stevie Nicks said, thunder only happens when it's raining. A player only loves you when he's playing. And hope only happens when you're suffering. She didn't say the last one, but it's true. <laughs> In the same passage from Romans 8 where Paul talks about hope, he describes the whole world this way. The whole world has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not just the world. He says, not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait. Uh, when I was in Bible study in college, they always said to look for repeated words. We would print out the text and we'd have our colored pencils. And we'd underline and circle and make notes in the margin. They always said, look for repeated words. And in that passage in Romans 8, the word that you see twice, groaning. Groaning is giving spontaneous voice to suffering. Nobody decides to groan. It just sort of comes out of you when you're suffering. And Paul says the whole world is groaning. Now, in our relentless churchy positivity, we tend to look past that. I mean, this is Paul's view of the world. The whole world is groaning. And I have never seen a church motto, groaning for Jesus. It's not what you see on the marquee. But we're not going to breeze past this in Romans 8, because at Mockingbird we do talk about Bruno. So let me show you groaning. Let me show you the platonic ideal, the very essence of groaning, so that in the future, whenever you read Romans 8, I want you to think of and see in your head this clip. And one of the things that's done is right here, these buckets are filled with grapes. What kind of grapes? 
These are filled with Chamberson grapes, and the winner this Saturday who stomps the most juice will actually win an overnight stay here at Chateau Alon. You ready? You ready to try it? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Not disgusting. Let's All go. right, you ready? Give us a 30-second time. Here we go. So what's the deal here? You, there's a contest to stomp, and how are you measuring who does the best stomping? And whoever stomps the most juice wins an overnight stay, but it's not the only thing you can do. The measuring cups are down below, right? The measuring cups are down below. All right. Tell, and and if, you, if you win, you get to stay at Chateau Alain. And what else do you have going on here? Well, if great stomping's not your thing, you can come and spend the day listening to live music, eating international foods, having wine tours and tasting, vineyard tours, seminars, arts and crafts. It's a lot of fun, a whole day. Stop. Oh, oh. She's actually hurt. No, there. I think she is. Yeah, she's Ouch. hurt. She took a hard fall off there. Okay. Boy, gosh, I hope she's okay. Okay. Mm. We're going to make sure she is. We'll try and check on her and get back right. to you as soon as we can. We'll be back mm. right after this. Gee. We'll try to check on her. <laughs> she's fine. So, in the summer of 1998, Grape Lady, as she is known, Melissa Sander, doing her job, went to film this little promotional bit about Chateau Ilan in Atlanta, Georgia. And the winery did these promotions, and you saw what happened, and while she did fracture some ribs, she's now working in a PR firm in Atlanta, running the firm, she's fine. She thought her embarrassment was over in 1998, but in 2006, some anonymous person put this on YouTube, and it's been viewed billions of times. It was recreated shot for shot in the animated series Family Guy. It has become a meme, and when I think of groaning, this is what I imagine. But I'd like for you to do something tonight, which is uh, to take it from meme and move with me to metaphor, because I think this is a picture of life, the groaning that is going on throughout the world, Paul says, the kind of groaning that is the environment where hope springs. Because it begins with her doing something dumb. Most of life is dumb. Have you spent any time on TikTok? It's dumb. Can you flip a water bottle so that it lands upright? This is the thing. Are you not on TikTok? Like, the, maybe you don't have teenagers? It's a thing. Can you flip it? Melina Smith's nodding. Like, most of life, though, is dumb. Middle school was dumb. Many things you do for your job to keep your bob ha boss happy are dumb. So she is doing something dumb. She's stomping grapes in a bucket to see who can stomp the most grape juice that's actually not going to be made into wine. It's just pointless. And... Uh, she doesn't want to do it. She calls it disgusting before she begins. Most of life is dumb and you don't want to do it. <laughs> like folding laundry. So she, though, makes the most of it, again, like most of it in life. She sort of gets, in, she gets into it. She starts actually sort of caring about how much grape juice she's going to squeeze because she starts cheating. She tries to get ahead. She stops her competitor 
and then thinking she's going to pull one over on her, gets a few extra stomps in there. And then, instant karma. You try to get ahead, you bend the rules just a little bit. And the law comes down, public and spectacular humiliation. And then in the most painful moment of all, the co-anchors at the end. This represents the world when you fail. This is how the world responds. Ooh, gotta hurt, glad that's not me. We'll try to check on her. So this whole thing to me shows the futility and cruelty of life and what happens to everybody on some level. And Paul says this is the whole world, groaning. And you can see this everywhere. And this is where it gets, I turn a little serious here. I think a lot of the things that you see in life, um, protests and marches and demonstrations and position papers and political rallies, all these things expressing legitimate concerns, I see these as demonstrations of people groaning because the life that they're living and the world in which they have it, rightly or wrongly, whether you're blue or you're red or you're in between or whatever state you live in or whatever your local school board is talking about and whatever side you're on, all of it is a sign of people not being satisfied with the world they inhabit and really wanting it to be different. And they're groaning. And this is where Mockingbird starts and names that reality. So stay down here on the ground with me in this reality because this brings us to another question. Why? Why are we groaning? Where is this all coming from? In this, I said we'd have two Pauls. Here's the second one. Who's it going to be? Yeah, there he is. Paul McCartney, now, uh, not from this early 1970s photo from the beginning of his solo career. Uh, This, though, the clip I want to show you is from Paul McCartney in 1993, the heyday of his mullet. He was still with Linda, and he put out this song called Hope of Deliverance, and we're, I'm going to, um, if it doesn't stop on its own, uh, Camel, or whoever I can't see up there in the balcony, I'll give you a sign when to cut it off about a minute and 20 seconds. After the nuns are saved.
stuck on train tracks, you better hope that there's some Buddhist monks on the train. So uh, I said earlier, I was talking to a third Paul, uh, Paul Zoll, about this, and I said, you know, it's not McCartney's best song. There's a critic that said, Mr. Happy McMoneybags can still write a positive little pop song about anything. And Paul, Paul Zoll said, what makes you think it's not his best? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Clearly, clearly it can. So that's not about you, it's about Paul McCartney's song, which is, I think, more of a, from a Nazareth time in his life. Anyways, moving on. My point is that song says a true thing, that we live in hope of deliverance from the darkness that surrounds us. It's a deceptively deep lyric in what at first glance as his critic said, sounds like a silly little pop song. Hope of deliverance. We live in the hope of deliverance from the darkness that surrounds us. So here's where Paul McCartney answers the question, why do we suffer? Why do we groan as we live um, in this hope? It's because we're surrounded by darkness. The third Paul, again, the bonus Paul for this conference said in his podcast recently, PZ's podcast, I was out there gardening, just pulling weeds and listening to Paul talk in my ears. And he said this thing which caught me short. He said, most of life is negative. And the, I don't know, the American Christian me thought to myself, that's not true. That can't be right. I've seen commercials. <laughs> they could sell you a pharmaceutical and name 25 things that could kill you and the people on the screen look so happy they're bowling they're painting and that's why it caught me up short most of life is negative you can disagree I don't know maybe your life hasn't been that way but there is a lot of really hard stuff from the moment you were born which was hard for all of you and it's been hard ever since. And some of you think you'll get to a time of your life that it's not hard. You'll get to retirement and finally get to enjoy, and then your body starts to go. Many of you had plans in February of 2020. Life is hard. And most of it is hard because we think it's not hard. We're repeatedly shocked and surprised. There's darkness that surrounds us. In this darkness, it's a place of not knowing, of being in the dark, not seeing what's about to happen, not being able to see around corners, and that's sort of terrifying. Um, if any of you are in some sort of decision process right now, you know that one of the things that's always on your mind is, what if the bad thing happens when I make the decision? Everybody is surrounded by darkness. 
the rector of this parish many years ago, Sam Shoemaker, who was one of the major starting influences for what is now known as Alcoholics Anonymous, said everybody has a problem, is a problem, or lives with a problem. We're surrounded by darkness. So Paul was right, Paul McCartney and Paul Zoll. The darkness surrounds us, but Paul McCartney, I would say, was only half right in that he didn't, he said, yes, darkness surrounds us, but darkness is also inside us. As St. Paul wrote in Romans 8, the part we talked about earlier, we ourselves, we ourselves grown inwardly. And this is not Paul saying like my pre-Christian me or before I got saved. He's saying we now ourselves grown inwardly. So this is us. And maybe you're groaning in a small way like Harry in When Harry Met Sally. Ooh, Ingrid Bergman. Now she's low maintenance. Low maintenance? There are two kinds of women, high maintenance and low maintenance. And Ingrid Bergman is low maintenance? And LM, definitely. Which one am I? You're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. I don't see that. You don't see that? Waiter, I'll begin with a house salad, but I don't want the regular dressing. I'll have the balsamic vinegar and oil, but on the side. And then the salmon with the mustard sauce, but I want the mustard sauce on the side. On the side is a very big thing for you. Well, I just want it the way I want it. I know. High maintenance. Ooh, best last line of a movie ever. <sighs> I'm definitely coming down with something. Probably a 24-hour tumor they're going around. You don't have a tumor. How do you know? If you're so worried, go see a doctor. No, he'll just tell me it's nothing. Will you be able to sleep? If not, I'll be okay. What'll you do? I'll stay up and moan. Maybe I should practice now. Good night, Harry. Good night. This darkness that's inside us. But there's also, I think, many people who struggle with an incredible level of darkness inside them. Things that don't go right, emotions they can't control, thoughts they wish they could stop and they can't. And on April 20th, Florence Welch, the English singer, released a song that captures this really powerfully. She's got an album coming out, Florence and the Machine. She'll be touring to promote it right here in New York City on May 6th. You can still get tickets. And this is one of the singles she's released. It's a song called Free. And to me, it depicts someone groaning very profoundly, albeit beautifully, about a huge and debilitating darkness that's inside her. And um, it's going to be about four minutes and I'd like you to listen to this song and watch the video 
And before we do, just to note that this was filmed in November of 2021 in, Le in Kyiv, uh, Ukraine. Uh, so just that's an interesting fact as well. And here you go, free from Florence and the Machine.
Anybody want to shout out how you feel after watching that? Undone. I want to exegete that a little bit with you. Because I think this is so profound and so beautiful and so powerful and so true because she is so vulnerable about talking about the darkness that's inside her and clearly puts on film what so many people experience. This anxiety, which as if you missed it at the beginning, is incarnated and personified by actor Bill Nye, who's sitting next to her throughout the beginning and is with her throughout it. Notice the anxiety never leaves. Even through the triumphant final chorus, he's still there. He's dressed in black, he smokes cigarettes and drinks coffee. It's the food of choice for anxiety. I notice that she can't control it. She says, sometimes I think I should be medicated. Life would be better if I was always slightly sedated. The feeling comes so fast and I cannot control it. I'm on fire but trying not to show it. She can't control it. Again, there's this brilliant evocation. If any of you have struggled with anxiety or any other emotions that you cannot control or actions you cannot control, you know this feeling. He's sitting next to her and he says, stand up, and she stands, and he says, sit down, and she sits, and he does it again, stand up and sit down, and she does it, and then he does this, and she just collapses. She's not in control. This is the darkness that inside us. And notice her own efforts to change it don't work. You might not have been able to quite hear the lyric, but she says, being clever never got me very far. I tried to outsmart it. That didn't work. You see her start to run. She tries to outrun it. But it turns out anxiety has a car. She's running by the road. He's just driving along next to her. And we see also that lectures and advice don't work to make it go away. She quotes some people, well-meaning people in her life. You're too sensitive, they said. And her response is, okay, but can we discuss this at the hospital? I can't fix my sensitivity. I need some help. And... You see her in the hospital, I sort of think that that dance she does like this with the guy who's in the lab coat, the white coat, is sort of, this is my analogy for what therapy can look like sometimes. You sort of act silly and they are silly with you, make you feel normal. So she's got no control, her own efforts fail and the efforts of others fail and so we come to the bridge, that scene outside at the end in front of that massive sculpture and she says, is this how it is? Is this how it's always been? to exist in the face of suffering and death and somehow still keep singing. To exist in the face of suffering and death and somehow still keep singing. Singing always and ever that same old song. The old, old story. And she does it herself. She makes it explicit. Now, I don't know about her spirituality. I don't know if Florence has gotten saved. And I don't know where she is with the Lord. But she does specifically bring Christ into the conversation. Christ up on the cross who died for us. Who died for what? She says. And then she says, in one of the most beautiful lines of the song, there is nothing else I know how to do but to open up my arms and give it all to you. There's nothing else I know how to do 
but to open up my arms and give it all to you. This is the gracious resignation to which the gospel, which Mockingbird just proclaims over and over, this is what it invites us to do. Our message is just the one of Christ who said, All who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. And notice there's no fixing that happens. Like I said, the anxiety is always with her. There's a touching moment at the end where she puts her head on his shoulder, makes peace with the reality that the anxiety will just be there along for the ride. And of course, at the end, there they are staring out into the cemetery, confronting the reality and inevitability of death for all of us. And that's where he puts his arm around her. To me, there's something very powerful about saying, looking at the reality of anxiety, looking at the reality of suffering, looking at the reality of death, all of this brings us again to that place of what I call gracious resignation, to where we can finally stop fighting and yield to the one who is determined to love us, no matter what. And this is what Mockingbird does over and over again, inviting us into reality and getting us to the place where we give up the silly fights and the posturing and the attempts to get better on our own and realize that we're already loved and we were already loved before we even walked in the door or fired up the app or tuned into the podcast. I've been just floored over the past year listening to Sarah Condon on the Mockingcast talk about her parents' death with such bracing honesty in a way that I don't know anybody else who talks about death like that. And yet there was nothing else she could do. And not once did Dave or RJ try to correct or steer it away or to console her in a way that they just wouldn't have to talk about it anymore. Facing the darkness that surrounds and facing the darkness that is in us over and over. And we don't try to fix it on our own. We don't try to lecture people into improvement. And Mockingbird's brilliant um, insight, again, which is the Christian insight, but so many people in the church don't say it, that it doesn't matter whether it's a religious law or a secular law, whether you call it sanctification or whether you call it life hacks and clean eating. They're both demands that you cannot fulfill. They're both ways you will fail. You will never be enough for the laws and demands of the world. And we will keep reminding you that in God's eyes, you are always enough. The conclusion is a word from Michael, St. Michael Stipe of REM, who in his 1991, their 1991 album, REM, Out of Town, track seven, a deep cut, not a single, this is a song called Belong. Backing vocals also provided by that wonderful B-52s. Anyone, can you remember her name? I'm blanking. Kate yes, Kate Pearson, praise God. Yes. <laughs> You'll hear these beautiful harmonies. The song is Belong. And if you can't hear what she's saying, it's sort of uh, almost a um, spoken word thing from Michael. Um, it's about, he'll talk about creatures on a Sunday morning, her world collapsed. He'll begin. On a Sunday morning, her world collapsed. And talks about these creatures jumping a barrier. And she's holding a child as this happens. So somehow the world is coming apart. She's holding a child, suffering, groaning. And you'll hear what happens. So we'll pray, I mean, we'll hear about um, 
I think, a minute and uh, 30 seconds of this camel, and then we'll conclude with a prayer. jumped the barricade and headed for the sea. She silenced the radio and folded the newspaper and she whispered to her child, belong, belong. In a world that has wearied you, that makes you feel there's something wrong with you, darkness that surrounds you, and seems to come bubbling up from the inside despite your attempts to change it. God has come in his son to groan with us in our suffering and in our darkness so that no matter what happens, no matter how weary you get, you will know that God is always holding you and whispering to you, Belong. Belong. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us always, for forgiving us before we ask, and holding us close. We pray in your name. Amen.